0: This morning's New Testament reading is from the book of Hebrews. Um, We'll be starting with chapter 12, verse 28, which is on page 853 in your Pew Bibles. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you only a short letter. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all God's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God.
1: right on the edge there, adds to the excitement, doesn't it? Uh, I would encourage you to uh, have Bible open in front of you. Uh, if you closed Hebrews 13, um, I'll reopen it. Uh, it shouldn't be too hard to find. And if you're listening carefully to uh, what Nathan said earlier on when he read from Hebrews, what we're about to engage in is a fairly alarming activity. Uh, we're about to have the living and active Word of God speak to us and uh, hopefully, in one strange sense, will divide our... Uh, To our very core being, judge the thoughts and attitudes of our heart, divide soul and spirit. Um, That's an alarming thing to ask God to do, but it's a helpful thing, isn't it? To have God actually address us in our deepest parts. So let's pray that he might do that. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is powerful, it is living, it is active. We thank you that uh, it speaks to us in the uh, deepest recesses of our being. Father, speak to us now by your spirit and word. Uh, Show us where we think differently to you and reform us that we might live to the glory and honour of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. What does quality worship look like? How would you recognise if you'd engaged in and you had experienced something that, that truly magnified the greatness of God? How is it that you measure worship? You know, what? What rating have you given so far to the worship experience here today? Now, Even if you don't articulate them, those are the kind of questions in our minds that rattle around uh, every time we come to church. Uh, John Piper, who's an American pastor and author, um, has a a philosophy of worship for for the gathered meeting when a a church gets together for for corporate worship. He makes some helpful points. He talks about how worship should be God-centered, that a church gathering should have a, a high priority on the vertical element. And that we might experience God and that that have, he would be glorified in our affections, in our loves. And therefore, when we come, we should expect uh, the powerful presence of God. Uh, he says that we should, in everything we do, have it saturated in the Bible, from the welcoming to the singing to the praying to the preaching. Um, he even goes as far to say as in the poetry. I'm not sure how often we um, bring out a poem here in our congregation, but <laughs> maybe next week. Uh, But the point is, Scripture's woven through everything that we do. And that this needs to be done with a a genuine engagement of head and heart, uh, to kindle and carry deep, strong and real emotions towards God. Not not manipulatively, not apart from clear thinking, but genuinely connected to your thinking. And what he's saying is, I I think, really helpful. Uh, And there are... I suppose, many ways in God's kindness that we can do it, which is why we have a variety of styles in the different services that we have at our church, Uh, because there's lots of ways in which the head and the heart can respond to God and real affections can be built. But for many of us as churchgoers, the the signs of quality of worship actually focus on the quality of the music, whether you're a guitar and drums kind of person or whether you're an organ kind of person. Or the quality of the sermon, you know, does it expound enough scripture per minute? Or, you know, are there enough kind of heartwarming, funny illustrations at the key moments that, you know, touch me deeply? And, you know, or, or the quality of the welcome, you know, just how open are other people to inviting me into their lives? I don't want to say they're all important things. Uh, and at our church, we're always seeking to serve God and our, each other better in those areas. And they are the things that you and I instinctively are rating. You know, even as our corporate worship experience goes along, we're kind of ticking the box and thinking, yeah, I like that song. Yeah, missed that, you know, that sermon illustration. I don't know about that one. That person didn't say it. You know, we're just evaluating as we go along. Important as they are, here's the danger. Our worship actually shifts away from a focus on God and my desire to glorify him onto evaluating other people and how well they serve me. And when we slip there, if we do, no matter how great the music or the preaching or the morning tea is, we've lost worship because it's become self-focused. Rather than considering what it does for God or others, um, I've had lots of conversations with people that boils down essentially to quality worship is what it does for me. Hebrews points us in a different direction. Look again at the end of chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably, with reverence and awe, for our God is consuming fire. Over and over again, Hebrews has made clear how much better it is to be in Jesus than anything else. And the latest one has been that we've got a better access to God. So we don't come to a, an earthly mountain where God turns up and um, his presence fills the place in such a way that it fills us with fear. Rather, we have a spiritual access to God in his heavenly presence where because of Christ we find acceptance. So what's the response? Well, the right response is to glorify his greatness, magnify it. And because we we access God spiritually, not not coming to a you know, geographic location, it's not coming to a mountain or coming to a temple or even coming to a building like this. Because we do it spiritually, uh, the opportunity to worship is actually expanded out. You know, it becomes a 24-7 thing. It's, it's not just a Sunday morning chance. And the writer then goes on in chapter 13 to flesh out the character of what is acceptable worship. Um, worship is not essentially acts we do at church. Though, don't mishear me, what we do at church is really important. We do worship when we come together. It's not like this is the only time in the week where we stop worshipping, as the impression some would give is. Uh, No, no. But more than that, worship is those moment-by-moment expressions where you show that you have allegiance to the great God and how great he is. Quality worship is about the stuff of daily life. It's about friendship and it's about sex and it's about money and it's about power and it's about belonging. Um, Six keys for us to look at this morning, Um, they're on the screen, love, honour, freedom, obedience, leaving and praise is okay if you don't remember those things, it's not particularly catchy, they don't form a mnemonic or anything like that Uh, but as we go through those six things as we scan over Hebrews 13, I want you to do something, Uh, what I'd like you to do, well I, I want you to do it because at the end we're going to finish with some words and quite frankly they are just not going to resonate with you unless you do this at least not powerfully. What I want you to do is give yourself a ranking out of 10 for each of the six keys to quality worship, just as we go along. Now, no one else needs to see it. Um, I don't have John at the back doing a tally and it's not going to come up on the screen at the end of anybody. But I do want you to do it. If, if it's helpful for you, you can't keep that many numbers in your head, jot it down on a bit of paper, but it's it's just for your own benefit. Uh, and the other thing i warn you of is we're not going to look at them equally. Um, Six things, though. First one, uh, of what quality worship is in practice is love. Verse 1, keep on loving each other as brothers. Don't forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are ill-treated as if you yourselves were suffering. Um, Skip down to verse 16 because it's on the same theme. And do not forget to do good and share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. You know, quality worship uh, touches on friendship. It's founded on love. Um, love is the, the commitment to do good uh, for another person. You know, giving people what they need, not just what they want, uh, but taking into account their needs as humans. So as humans, uh, they're, they're mortal. They have basic needs like food and shelter and, and love and friendship. Uh, as humans as well, though, they've got eternity in their hearts and it's loving to prepare people for that eternity. As humans, though, in God's kindness, he's made us all different. There's not a one-size-fits-all, is there? We, we have to love people as who they are, as individuals, as God's made them. But the way we love is with a commitment like a family tie. Did you notice in verse 1, love as brothers and, and sisters? You know, they they say you can uh, pick your friends but you can't choose your family Uh, and we've all got relatives where we go, yeah, uh, to that kind of sentiment Uh, and that's true, isn't it? And what's remarkable here is it's saying we have to love one another with that kind of love. You you can't choose the Christians who you are committed to loving in the way that you choose your friends. It's like family, you're just stuck with them. Uh, One major expression is, is hospitality there. Um, not entertaining friends, but but taking strangers and making them guests. Uh, so he alludes there to, to some Old Testament figures, Abraham and Lot, um, who did show hospitality to strangers that they found. And if you know their stories, both men actually ended up being blessed more for it. It turned out they were angels that they were entertaining and they received greater blessing because of the way they showed hospitality. His logic uh, is is lovingly open up your lives to new people, not for their benefit, oh, sorry, not... Not for, not for your benefit, though his logic is ultimately it is for your benefit because of the blessings it will bring you to open up, these, open up to these new people. Our church has actually been criticised for being lacking in this area. And before we come up with knee jerk kind of defences, ask the question how many people are you loving like brothers and sisters in the church? that you wouldn't normally befriend okay there are some people who you're going to meet at church who had you met them anywhere else you know rugby club uh, yacht club work they'd still have been your friend um you know they're the same stage of life as you they've got the same taste in fashion and film you're just friends anyway now i want to say keep loving those kind of people it's great you met them at church but the real test of your worship is hospitality you know, inviting people who are different. you know, The, the marriage, inviting single people into their life. Uh, for the old, um, that's kind of all of us. You know, uh, inviting you know, children uh, as people who matter, not just kind of moving objects to watch out for at morning tea. Uh, and, and the onus is, is particularly on those of us in the powerful position to initiate this, but it's not just for them. You know, there's an onus in verse 3, though, for, for us to care for those who are imprisoned. Uh, One commentator suggested the implications in our society might be forms of imprisonment like the loneliness of of old age and infirmity. Uh, But even beyond our suburb, there are those in Christ who are imprisoned for their faith. As a church, we we do support a number of families in Vietnam uh, through Voice of the Martyrs in that situation. But as individuals, we need to, to not forget to do good, as verse 16 puts it. You know, we're so consumed with our struggles, with, with managing our relationships, with holding on to our work, to thinking of our futures, that that it's really easy to forget to do good, isn't it? We forget to love. And when it comes to people who are out of our sight, people who are locked away in any form, even to think about them, um, it seems hard to remember. And when we do, it seems so big You know, there's there's a roadblock of intimidation. Oh, I can't do it all, so I don't do anything. But even if we just did one small thing, you know, if you were here last week, um, maybe it was two weeks ago, Dean and Selena, they're about to head off to uh, Cambodia with Habitat for Humanity. You know, that's one thing. It's not going to fix everything, but certainly not nothing. You long for quality worship? I hope you do. Well, out of 10, how is your love? Second honour. Verse 4, marriage should be honoured by all, the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Quality worship touches on your sex life. Uh, On view here is actually more, though, than just your personal sex life. It's an understanding of marriage as an institution, an objective thing that God has given that that should be honoured by all. We live in a culture that wants to redraft God's design, and so we need to keep honouring it by being faithful to the way God set it up. Our culture wants to shift the design of marriage from one man and one woman. We need to honour it by advocating the need for sticking to God's way. Now, we may still defend the state's rights for for homosexual couples in the same way that we would for a a de facto heterosexual relationship. We just need to distinguish it's just not marriage. It's not the way God had set it up. We still need to love those people. Our culture wants to, to shift God's design that marriage is for life, and have arrangements of you know living together for a fixed period, you know, a trial marriage. Uh, again, it's an attempt to have all the benefits of marriage but without the responsibilities. And the sad bit is, in doing that, uh, apart from God's design, the real benefits are actually lost. You know, same is done when when married couples in our culture permanently or, or for an elongated period take the benefits of sex without an openness to children. Now, I'm throwing all these kind of things up for people to discuss because if we're serious about honouring marriage, uh, it needs to be a topic of conversation for us. But, of course, the most obvious honouring of marriage is is in your personal sex life. If you're married, uh, enjoy the purity of an active sex life with your husband or wife and no one else. Uh, And if you're not married, honour marriage by remaining celibate. And whether you're married or whether you're single... Honour marriage by encouraging each other to live out the situation God has gifted you in. You want quality worship? Out of 10, how well do you want a marriage? Thirdly is freedom. Verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? You know, quality worship means freedom with the back pocket. Now, freedom from the love of money to be generous. And, you know, at this point, the really tempting thing for me to do is take us all on a nice guilt trip. Um, it's kind of easy to do. You know, I can talk about uh, how the comfort we love to dwell in and the luxuries that we enjoy and think are just, you know, natural and, and the position that we hold in the world and the history of the world with the amount of wealth we have. More intriguing, though, rather than taking us down that road, is to ask the question of... How is it that the author can say this to people who have suffered just to the point of, just short of shedding blood? These people, we're told in Hebrews 10, the first readers of this, had actually had their property confiscated. You know, wouldn't it make sense to give them the advice, hang on to what you've got, because <laughs> you're in a tough situation, aren't you? And yet he doesn't say that. Why? Well, his argument draws on, on God and God his promises his faithfulness to people like Abraham and Moses and Joshua see they're the kind of quotes there that are being drawn upon um if you don't know their situation these these were men who faced really daunting challenges of following God in places where they had to leave their security entirely behind and how did they manage to do it because the Lord was their helper and therefore they didn't have to fear they were confident in God and God's character when it comes to money the problem is not scarcity God is a generous provider We don't need to to kind of fearfully hang on to our cash with white knuckles. We are free to be content. We are free to give our love and our affection and our time to God. We we can give our love and and our affection and time to people rather than having to hang on to wealth. You want quality worship? Out of ten, how free are you from the love of cash? The fourth is obedience. Verse 7 Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of, the way of of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. You would have picked that up in the kids talk. Um, don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods which are no value to those who eat them. Uh, and again, same themes picked up in verse 17. Obey your leaders, submit to their authority. Uh, they keep over as men who must give an account. Obey them, their work will be a joy, not a burden, because that would be of no advantage to you. you know, quality worship reaches into your longing for power. You know, real worship uh, is a willingness to let power go, uh, to copy leaders' life who taught you the truth. We, we can do it because we're confident the message of Jesus is always the same. That's his logic there in 7, 8 and 9. Now Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever uh, and therefore the message isn't going to change. You don't need to go off uh, to different kinds of strange, exciting new teachings. You can stick with the truth as you've been taught because Jesus doesn't change. He talks of how our hearts are actually strengthened by grace. That is, we don't get discouraged. Uh, the grace we've seen is in, he alludes to, uh, the, the sacrifice Jesus made out of the city. It's, most sacrifices used to occur uh, in the temple but the day of atonement sacrifice happened outdoors uh, they went outside the city uh, that sacrifice the one that makes us one with God again Jesus has done once and for all there's not going to be a change and because the message and the source of confidence is doesn't change we imitate faithful leaders as verse 17 puts it we obey them we willingly stop making power plays now, living this out is a an issue of of proximity and accountability. Um, Proximity—that is, how close you are—in uh, that you need to put yourself close enough to Christian leaders to actually know their life and thinking. And you need to be close enough to make their joy uh, their work a joy because they can see your 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 obvious obedience and support. Accountability in that God will hold church leaders to account for the way in which they have exercised their authority in a manner worthy of Christ. You know, the, 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 the challenge there for church leaders is they're not free to be uh, abusive in their leadership. Uh, they will one day have to give an account to the Lord Jesus. But the challenge for the rest of us, I suppose, is are we willing to follow? You know, allow them to give an account to God instead of giving an account to us all the time. I was told of a a Bible study group uh, where the issue of rebuking and correcting came up and the group leader I had asked uh, anyone, uh, had had anyone recently rebuked a fellow Christian? Uh, One member said how um, he had corrected the senior pastor, who was a faithful godly man, several times in the past few weeks, but he hadn't had to correct anyone else. And I couldn't help wondering if that person had really captured how to obediently make his church leaders work a joy when the only person he could spot error in was his pastor. You want quality worship? How's your obedience? Five and six are quicker. Uh, five, I want you to leave. Um, I don't mean leave the building now. I mean uh, verse 13. Let us then go to him outside the camp. Bear the disgrace he bore, for we don't have an enduring city. Oh, sorry, here we don't have an enduring city but we are looking for the city to come. Over and over again, Hebrews is asked the question of where do you really want to belong? Do you belong here or do you belong in God's kingdom? You know it, That that the quality of worship is is leaving the approval of other people to go outside the city walls with Jesus. Because if Christianity is worth anything, it's worth everything. Uh, if you need refreshing on, on what... Leaving, it looks like, and being challenged about. Have a look back in chapter 12, uh, the the call to holiness, the the week before, the the need to scorn the shame uh, in this world for the joy of the world to come, just like Jesus did. You want quality worship? Uh, Out of 10, what have you left behind for Jesus? Uh, Six leaders praise verse 15... Uh, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Um, Yet this covers what we are doing here this morning in corporate worship. Quality worship uh, needs to engage our, our entire being, our body, our soul, our spirit. But the thanks and praise don't stop when we go to morning tea or when we leave the church property. Uh, we are continually speaking of Christ's goodness to others, aren't we? Praise isn't merely saying, God, I think you're great. Praise is also... Telling other people, I think God is great and this is why. Evangelism is not a a set piece work where you have to force certain kind of pre learnt doctrinal statement on other people. Uh, Instead, it's actually simply the natural outflow of sharing your appreciation. That God's been really kind to you and you want to let other people know. Isn't that a relief? Uh, It's certainly a great Great relief for me, a liberation when I realized I could actually faithfully praise God just simply sharing a little bit of the truth about how Christ's been good to me without feeling like I had to say everything, you know, and you know download every detail of penal substitutionary atonement or something like that to people. It's natural. It's genuine praise, not dutiful downloading. You want quality worship? Out of ten, do your lips confess his name freely to praise all. Now, as people who know it's better to be in Christ, we worship him. We magnify his greatness and yet, do that quick tally. If you haven't already added it up, you've got a score currently sitting out of 60 in your mind. Uh, if you got 60, come and speak to me later on because I want to learn from you. You've got a lot to teach me. Um, but if you didn't get 60, you're probably closer to me uh, And you'll realise that it's actually hard work. It's okay to realise that. In fact, it's good to realise it because suddenly you'll appreciate words that we may have before just read over without even thinking. That blessing the book finishes with. Verse 20. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may that God equip you with everything good for doing his will. May he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Alone, our worship is always going to be substandard. But with a God who makes peace with his strength, the one who equips us to do his will, there's a real quality. Why don't we pray for God's assistance to go and worship him? Our Lord and Father, we thank you that you have made peace uh, through the blood of Jesus and raised him from the dead that we can be yours. Uh, Father, we thank you that Jesus is our great shepherd who uh, looks over us and cares for us and leads us and corrects us. Father, we pray that you would equip us to worship you, equip us to do everything good for your will, Uh, equip us to do what is pleasing for you Uh, through Jesus our Lord and may he have the glory. Amen.